I'm Bridget Metcalf. Join me each week as I chat with leaders from around the world, shining a light of global issues that affect us all, so the truth may be known. Don't miss out on the conversation. Go to your favorite podcast streaming service now to subscribe to Truth Be Known. For upcoming podcasts, go to truthbeknown.org and enjoy the conversation. Hello, friends. This is Bridget Metcalf, and thank you for joining us today on the Truth Be Known podcast. We have Annie Dieselberg, founder of Nightlight International in Bangkok, Thailand, on the show with us today. Nightlight started in January of 2005 and set out to address the lack of opportunity for women trapped in Bangkok sex trade by providing them with a viable alternative means for supporting themselves. Along with love, friendship, and community, they have seen over 300 women rescued and restored throughout the city. And some of them, we don't know, you know where their story is at this point. But it's, it's in knowing that I'm not responsible for what, what she chooses. I'm responsible for the moment that I have with her and doing the best that I can in that moment. And I think that that lets me off the hook. So then I don't have a sense of burning out when I'm disappointed because I still have hope. Her story's not done. After today's podcast, we will give you information on how to support or get involved with this impactful ministry. Enjoy the conversation as we dive into this week's episode of Truth Be Known. I, I grew up, my childhood was in Africa. And so, you know, with my parents, we would go to the African villages and I would play with the African children. And so I've always loved African children. And it wasn't so much that I had a dream of having two African children, but I, I would always say, oh, I love African children. I would love to have African children, but I married a white man and, you know, <laughs> and he's not going to be the one to give that to me. And I just kind of, it, it was just a dream and, until fast forward, uh, you know, 20 years living in Thailand, we were working with uh, some African women and a mother died and left two children orphaned here in Thailand, in Bangkok. So I went through, you know, what I needed to do to make sure that, you know, the legal channels, um, looking for the relatives to see, you know, what, what are the options for care for these children? To make a long story short, the best option turned out to be adoption for them. When I heard that that was an option, I just got really excited because then it was like, wow, this is a dream come true. And I never even like said, God, I want, you know, African children because what are the chances of you know, living in Thailand for over 20 years and adopting African children? But all of a sudden, here they were pretty much placed in my lap. And so it was just a joy and a sense of fulfillment to have that dream come true. And they are a, just incredible blessings to us. How old were they when you adopted them? They were five and two and eight months. Wow, and how old are they now? They're now 12 and almost 10. That is amazing. Wow. It's like God just gave you your desire. That's incredible. Totally. So Annie, how did you end up in Thailand? I understand that you're a missionary kid and you grew up in Africa, right? Like where in Africa did you grow up? My childhood was in Congo, Congo. Zaire at the time. And then I also lived in Thailand and in India Oh, as well as Europe. Wow. And so how did you end up in Thailand? My husband and I applied for global servant position. And the organization that we applied with goes through a screening process. And so they ended up offering 
a position of working in urban missions, urban ministry in Thailand. And after praying and going through the screening application process, we felt like it was the right fit. And we both really felt this sense of calling that this was the place that God was bringing us to. Didn't know what we were going to be doing here for sure as a very broad category of urban missions, urban ministry. But we've had a strong sense that, yes, this was where we were to come. So 26 years ago, we arrived with three children. Yes. How old are your um, biological kids? 32, 30, 26. Those are the three biological. And then we have three adopted. So one adopted is 24 and then 12 and 10. Wow. What was that transition like to bring your three children over here and getting started here in Thailand 26 years ago? 26 years ago was a lot different. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in, in Africa, so in different countries. So for me, it was exciting to be back actually more in my comfort zone of being, you know, overseas and in international settings. But at the same time, 26 years ago, there weren't very, there weren't as many falang as they call them, call us. Mm-hmm. around so you know everywhere we went we everybody was focused on my children if we went to the zoo I think there were more people looking at our children and asking to take pictures of our children than they were the animals and uh, so it was it was a big adjustment for the family to move to completely move to Thailand and when you first hit ground here and you got started what was your heart and your call like what what drew you here how did you learn the language what was the process? We had to go to language school for over a year. We had to pass the uh, national sixth grade exam before we could be released into full-time work. Mm-hmm. And initially, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what my niche was. Um, mm-hmm. I have a teaching background, grew up on, in international settings, in missions culture, but not just missions. And so I, I, it took me several years to figure out what it was that I was going to be doing. But from the very beginning, we were staying in a a guest house and there was a brochure that uh, for an organization that worked with women in prostitution. And I remember looking at that and thinking, wow, that's the dream job. (laughs) If I could do anything, that's what I would wanna do. And um, it's not what initially we started doing. Initially, we started working with in a church setting that was surrounded by a slum community. And my husband very quickly found his niche teaching, preaching, teaching on urban ministry through that. For me, it was a slower. I started working with a woman who is now my co-leader at Nightlight. Uh, She was the director of Compassion International Project. So I joined up with her in, in what she was doing. But it took a while before I started to gravitate in a new direction. So tell me a little bit about that process. Like, how did you find your direction? And how did Nightlight get birthed and started? I mean, this is an incredible ministry. And I think it would be so incredible for people to hear what your journey was like to get this started. In the beginning, it it wasn't easy uh, because I had three little children. We weren't living in an expat community. We were trying to engage, you know, immersed in the Thai culture. My children could speak a little bit of Thai, but we would go to the Thai church and you know, they're young and restless. And, and so I often felt like I was having, I was doing the mother role and taking my children outside and intervening for them. For a long time, it was actually kind of frustrating trying to find, okay, besides being a mother, which I love doing, but, you know, to be engaged in with the Thai culture in a meaningful way 
was difficult to find that path. So I actually was relieved when I started working with Pawn, who was the director of the Compassion Project, because then I could do what, what I was naturally more gifted in, which was interacting with people in the communities. And I was supporting her. So I went with her. We would go do visits within the community and go sit in homes and, you know, have a glass of water with them and discuss their family situation and whether or not their kids were in school. And as we did that together, we began to hear stories of the young girls, the teenagers who were dropping out of the program, becoming drug runners or mistresses for older men um, or even in prostitution. And so I began to feel challenged that we need to do something about this. What can we do about this? And then at the same time, I was attending the International Women's Club, and I met a volunteer for the organization, Rahab, that worked with women in prostitution. And I told her, I said, I love what you are doing. Like, that's a dream job. And she said, oh, well, why don't you come along then? And uh, we can do bar outreach together. We'll have a fun time of fellowship in the bars. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I don't think those words go together. <laughs> I hadn't been in a bar before, to be honest. It wasn't part of my lifestyle. And so it was a bit of an overwhelming thought, but I was excited at the opportunity. So I actually went and joined her on one of the outreaches. And at first it was a bit intimidating. Uh, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to interact. But as I began to hear the stories of the women, I began, you know, I felt connected with them and I got excited about getting to know them and hearing their stories. And I fell in love with them and with the ministry. It began to take over my passion. Um, I was do still doing the work with Pawn in the communities, but gradually I began to pull more and more towards working with women in prostitution. And that went for about almost five years. And then that organization started to kind of take a different turn. And I had so many ideas for what I saw as possibilities to work with women in prostitution and victims of human trafficking. And so it became very clear to me that I needed to leave that organization and start a new one in order to fulfill the dreams and the visions that I felt God was giving me. So then after I left that organization and started this new one with a few other women, then Pawn also left the organization she was working for and came to join me to start Nightlight. Wow. And what year was that? That was 2005. When you first started out, there's just a handful of people, right? How did it mushroom into what it is today? It was a vision about three people to start with, but I had been doing the bar outreach already for almost five years. And uh, so that's what we started with me and one other woman continued to do the bar outreach. And we started doing bar outreach, I think it was in January. We had our first woman out in February, the second one in March. By the end of the year, we had eight women. And by the end of the following year, we had over 20 women. By the end of the third wow. year, we had over 80 women. Employed. That is unbelievable. For, for somebody that's never done that before, what does bar ministry look like? What do, what do you do? We go to the bars and we make friends with women, basically. Um, just like, you know, I would get to know you. We go into the bars and we are, you know, usually guided to a seat. And then our servers come and ask, you know, what we want to drink and we order a Coke. And then we sit there and we observe the women, their body language, um, their expressions. And as we do that, we'll feel prompted, you know, guided to, to invite one of them 
to come and to sit with us and we offer her a drink. And then as you know, she gets her drink and she's sitting there next to us, then we just begin to talk. Hi, what's your name? Mm -hmm. Where do you come from? Do you have children? What brought you to Bangkok? How long have you been working here? You know, just getting to know her. And then how do you feel about this job? You know, and depending on her answer, then, you know, we go from there. And, uh, and the women would open up to us very easily and share their stories and, and want to explain, you know, I don't want to do this work, but I have to because, you know, my family needs money because my children need to go to school because, you know, of debt and, and share the reasons that, you know, what brought them to that. And then we'll just say, well, if you had another option, if there was another option of a job that was a daytime job and maybe it didn't make as much money as this, but it was an, a, another job, would you be interested? And if the woman respond, you know, very positively, like, do you have a job? Do you know of a job? I want another job. I don't want to do this. Then we would give a phone number and say, um, here, you know, we do have a possibility of a job. You can come and you can apply. And She'd say, oh, but I don't have any skills. I didn't finish high school. I don't have a degree. I can't, you know, I can't do anything. And we'll say, that's fine. We'll teach you. We make jewelry. And I, usually we'll be wearing something so we can show her, you know, it, you know, like this, we do this kind of thing and we'll teach you how to do it. And they'll ask questions and they would light up and say, you mean this is a real job? I can tell my parents, I could tell my children what I'm doing and not be ashamed. And so we would give them that opportunity and then we leave it to them. Mm -hmm. It's up to them. You know, it, you don't force anyone to leave a bar or to leave prostitution. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it might be that night. They're like, I'm doing this. I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm coming tomorrow. And that would happen. And sometimes it would be two, three years, four years. One woman was who came to us 10 years. She was a manager of a bar and she would say, I'm coming someday. Not yet but I'm coming, I'm going to work with you. And it took her 10 years. Wow. And then she said, okay, I'm ready. I'm coming. So we just take the time to build relationships where the women trust us and, and they feel like they can open up and share their stories and then look for opportunities to offer, a, to offer a way out. Or sometimes they don't want a way out yet, but they mm -hmm. need encouragement. Mm -hmm. they, need, uh, they might need some medical care. They might need some advice. You know, there are other ways sometimes of, of things that we can do for them just to show them that they are valuable for who they are. I love that. I love your method because you're building relationship with them just by having that conversation and asking them their story gives them value, knowing their yes. name, knowing their story, letting them talk freely, and then just an organic conversation where you're building trust with them. Now, at what point were you able to have that training and that job ready? Did you have to get sponsorship from people to start doing that? Did you have a crew? Like, how did you build that part of it? Because you right now have a t-shirt printing, you make kimonos, right? You make- yes. Uh, apparel, sewing apparel, coffee, eating, jewelry. You, coffee you have business. so much going on. And I'm sure that didn't happen just in 2005. How did that develop so that you could take these girls and give them that training and that job? We started with, you know, the little that we had. I, when I was working in the other organization, I realized that we needed something that was dignifying for the women to do. 
something that not only they could be proud of, but it was a product of excellence. I was wanting to move away from, from sympathy products. You know, we don't want people buying our stuff because they feel sorry for these women because that's not dignifying. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for something that, that was beautiful and that represented the beauty and the potential creativity abilities of these women. And I learned how to make jewelry at, a, at the local church so I started practicing making jewelry uh, while I was still at the other organization. It wasn't, a cra- it wasn't something that they were doing. So I did it on my own time at home. And when I started Nightlight, that was the skill that I had to offer for these women. So the very first woman came to us after we started Nightlight. I met her at McDonald's and over a Coke and a chicken sandwich, I showed her how to make earrings and how to make a necklace. That was our first jewelry lesson. From there then, you know, we moved to my house and we had a couple of women doing it at my house until a local church provided us with this, with a space and we started to do it there. So really we didn't have a large grant. We didn't have you know, really very much funding at all uh, or resources or facility, <laughs> but we just took the little that we had and began to work with that. And then the, the international women in Bangkok were very supportive. And in the beginning years, uh, we would sell a lot locally. We would go out to Nichita and uh, women there would open up their homes to host parties for us. And because we were one of the first organizations doing this, there was very little competition at the time. And so we received a lot of support from international women in Bangkok and, uh, and it allowed us to continue to grow that. Until then, we began to apply for grants and receive funding from overseas to help to increase to scale it up. Oh, so you actually learned how to do this craft yourself and started off with just you and one-on-one training. Yes. And it's developed yes. into this. And I've seen some of your jewelry. Managers now they could teach me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that. What they do now, they have, they would teach me. <laughs> it takes it to a whole nother level, which is exciting. I've seen your stuff yes. on your e-store and, and, and sent a couple models your way. And I love what you guys have done. It's beautiful. Your clothing, your jewelry, it's just beautiful. What keeps you going? This is not an easy organization to be a part of. You have your ups, you have your downs. What keeps you going after 26 years? It is hard. And we do see a lot of people come and go. It's always sad when people come with a lot of passion and then burn out. It's easy to get discouraged. And one sense I have high expectations but another sense, I don't. The expectation for me is a lot in faith of knowing that God is at work, regardless of what I see in front of me. I have to change my standard of success. If success means that she's going to graduate from a university with a degree and have a high paying job, then I've failed. But if success means that you know we've had over 300 women who have come through our program and have been given the opportunity for a new life, have learned to value themselves and to discover that they have choices in life and be equipped to to make those choices in life to better their own lives and their families and their communities, then it's successful. And I don't always get to see that success immediately. And it may be years and it may be a lifetime. And for some, we we may never see even that. But it's knowing that, you know, whoever's in front of me, that woman in that moment, I'm called to learn her story, to give her a sense of hope for her future. And we do the best that we can in loving her 
and giving her opportunities for her to choose in her life for the time that we have her, however long that is. And then I have to let go. And I have to trust the, the final success for her. It's not in my hands. It's not in my control. And some of them will cycle back to us as they make poor decisions. And some of them will go on and thrive. And some of them, we don't know, you know where their story is at this point. But it's, it's in knowing that I'm not responsible for what, what she chooses. I'm responsible for the moment that I have with her and doing the best that I can in that moment. And I think that that lets me off the hook. So then I don't have a sense of burning out when I'm disappointed because I still have hope. Her story's not done. And I, you know, for so much for me, it's, it's faith. And I believe that if God brings these women into our path, that means that, that God cares about them and their life. He cared to bring them, to give them opportunity, to give them choices, to give them hope for a future. And when they leave our care, God continues to give them those divine appointments, to bring people into their path who will continue to sow hope and encouragement into their lives. For me, that's a big part of it, is always believing, always seeing through hopeful eyes and, and optimism that we're, we're a part of the journey, but God's got the whole journey, and mm-hmm. I can trust him in that. So inspirational. I mean, I, I'm with you here in Bangkok, but just hearing your words inspires me to a whole nother level, too. I, I think about what you just said. You talked about, one, you took the little resource that you had, which just reminds me of the fishes and the loaves and the word of God. It's like you took what you had and then God built it. And then you took the women that you have at the time and the moment, and you were faithful to what God gave you. And you don't let them anchor to you. You let them anchor to God and you're anchored to God. And it's God's going to take them on the journey. So you're trusting them. It's that's, such good advice for anybody that has a passion to do this kind of work. So at this time, tell us a little bit about what's happening, because what started in 2005 has grown into an incredible journey. Tell us a little bit about what's happened now. Like it's, it's just incredible. Let me just describe a little bit part of where the growth has come from is that, I mean, I am an idea factory, but, you know, we go out and instead of creating a structure and saying, okay, this is who we are, one, two, three, four, you know, we're going to minister, we're going to reach out to this type of woman only, we can provide this training only, we can meet these needs only, and then going out and looking for people who fit our box. What we did is we went out on the streets and we meet women and we listen to their stories and we hear what the needs are. And then we, we build and adjust our program based on the needs that we're hearing. Mm. So it's grown like a vine, you know, as we, for example, you know, we started reaching out to Thai women who are working in prostitution in the bars and they need a job and they come to us. But then one of them is pregnant and has a baby and has no family to help take care of her child. So, oh, we need a childcare center. So we start a childcare center. We meet an African woman on the street who's trafficked. She needs help. So we adjust our program. Now we're going to reach out as well to the African women because somebody needs to reach out to them. And one of them has a baby and the baby doesn't have the birth certificate, doesn't have a passport. The mom doesn't have her passport. So now we have to adjust our program. So how are we going to prove that this baby is the mom's? We have to do DNA testing. We have to get correct documents. And so as we go out and we discover the actual 
needs of the women, then we adjust our program to meet those needs. And so that's how it's grown to where it is today, where, you know, we have, we do uh, production in jewelry, we do screen printing, the beading, apparel, different types of apparel. People will come to us with specific designs that they've created and ask us to make them for them. We've gone out and taught, our women have taught classes to expat women in Bangkok on jewelry making. So, you know, we've, we've worked with the business in that sense to expand opportunities for the women so that they're not only, not every woman is good at or enjoys making jewelry. And so providing other opportunities for training. We opened the coffee shop that allows women to learn how to do barista and, and restaurant and customer service. Some of the women you know, are more involved a little bit on the sales side or an admin side or office side if they have some basic computer skills. Some of them are working in the childcare center. And then, so we, we do that. And then we have our outreach center and the outreach center is located in Sukhumisoy 4. And there we're reaching out to women and the transgender community who are still involved in prostitution. And in, you know, in order for them to access them and their needs, what we've done is we open a beauty salon twice a week. And that allows them to come into a safe space where they can <laughs> let their hair down, where they can relax and feel, feel warm, feel heard, valued. We give them a free meal. We give them free beauty services, wash their hair, uh, love on them, uh, listen to their stories. And that also is building relationship, building community for them. It allows us to go deeper into their stories over time you know, slowly they, they can unfold and let us in to what's really going on in their lives. And then through that, as we hear, you know, the needs and responding to those needs. So, you know, putting on medical clinics where we do free HIV testing. And, you know, we work with a team of doctors from Bamangrad Hospital and the women and lady boys can come in and talk to the doctors and, you know, receive medication and care for the things that are really bothering them physically that they don't otherwise have time to deal with or too afraid and ashamed to address. And then in this past season, of course, with COVID, we had to close the beauty salon for that season. We've just reopened it. And as we went out, we still wanted to be present and meeting needs. What we found was that the women were hungry. The community was hungry. So we started a feeding program where we're going out four or five times a week and distributing meals. At first, it was just to our target group of women and the lady boys in prostitution, but the neighbors were also hungry. And so we would end up, you know, with people lined up, 150 people lined up down the street on some nights, and we would be giving food to them and hygiene kits once a month. We would distribute hygiene kits as well to them. So meeting those practical needs, really it's about paying attention to what's going on in the times and in our neighborhood and with the individuals and responding. And then there was a season where we've assisted over 200 international women who were in prostitution or trafficked to Thailand for forced prostitution. So we've also developed a program to address their needs specifically. And we have an international program center where the women can come, those who are in our program and receive some, they do therapeutic art classes. They do, there's some, you know, job training for them, baking, it uh, depends on the skills available, hairdressing. But then a big part of it for them is walking them through the really difficult, sometimes re-traumatizing of having to 
be interviewed by the police, be screened and identified as trafficked victims, testify against their traffickers in court, work out all of the issues of documentation and the repatriation back to their home countries. That is incredible. So with all that you guys do, I'm sure you need volunteers and you need people that are dedicated, passionate and dedicated and willing to root themselves. What would it take for somebody to get involved and come alongside you for the future? If people feel like they have specific skills that could be useful, then they can write to us at bkk at nightlightinternational.com. And, you know, we can set up an interview or send an application form depending on the skills based. And, you know, if there feels like it's a good fit for the organization, then come on board and help us in one of these different areas. People sometimes think that they don't have any way, any skills to help an organization like this if they don't feel called or interested in bar outreach. But because we are a business, there's the marketing side, there's the business aspect, there's chain supply, sourcing, uh, wholesale, sales, events, fundraising, donor development, photography. You know, I mean, there are a lot of areas in which we could use volunteer assistance. What would it look like if somebody came, they, they do an interview with you, send in the email? Do they need to raise their own support, come in? And do language school too? Do, do you have them do language school along with that? What would be the process? Well, it depends. It depends on where they're coming from. If somebody is applying from overseas, there would be an application process. If we feel like there's a good fit, then they would raise their own support. And then they would move here. They would provide their own housing, which you know they would have raised their support for to cover. If they're going to serve long-term, which is our preference, because it's easier to be successful in a project if people are working through a good part of the project, not starting something and then three months leaving it, and somebody else comes in with new ideas and changes it and starts it for three months and then drops it. You know That kind of rotation makes it difficult. But if somebody's coming in for a longer term, then we do request that they do language school. If they're going to do like three to five years, then it's, it's worthwhile for them to invest in language school to learn the language because if they don't, they won't feel connected to the Thai women. And if they don't feel connected to the Thai women, they're more likely to burn out. If they're locals, uh, expat women, then some of them already have some basic Thai, or if they don't, and it's not, it doesn't make sense for them to go to language school, then there are some jobs that only require English. So, you know, like communicating with with donors or fundraising overseas, some of the the business or the marketing type of things can be done purely in English. I want to make sure that our audience knows what your greatest needs are for those of them that are listening out there. What are some of the greatest needs that you have right now that would help you with Nightlight? One of the biggest needs actually is sales. We wanted to do a business. So we have the business and the nonprofit side and they work together holistically for the women, for their future. But if we create products, but we don't have venues to sell it, then we're just having a lot of wasted materials and a lot of wasted time. And if we don't create, then the women are sitting around bored, restless, and have too much time to be thinking about the problems and alternative solutions. You know, when they can work, they feel productive. They feel like they're contributing. It's therapeutic for them as well. They build community and they're proud of what they're creating. So there's a sense of dignity and value. 
So the more product that we sell, the more we can keep the women employed, happy, productive, and grow the business so that we can employ more women out of prostitution. So that would, that's one of the biggest needs is sales. Second big need is right now we are renovating the buildings. We've been in these buildings for 15, one 15 years, one about 12 years. So we've just hired the contractor, the people to do that, and they're starting this week. But we're still short about twenty-five, thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars for for the project. And you know, when the renovations are completed, then we also need some interior decorating and furnishing because we have depended a lot on donated secondhand goods. But you know, with time, those also wear out, and so we are also going to need some new furnishings as well for that. That would be awesome. So I want to just encourage our audience here to just hear these needs. If maybe you can never actually put your feet on the ground here in Bangkok, but you can contribute in so many ways. And we'll make sure at the end of the show that you have a form and a fashion to do that. So Annie, as we're concluding this interview today, I want to ask you this question. If you could have this world stage and share with the women your heart and your passion, what would be the thing that has impacted you the most through this journey here that you would like to share with this audience? 26 years of being in Bangkok, you probably give several stories, but what's one that has just maybe wrecked you and said, no matter what, I'm here for the long haul and I cannot leave because my heart is in Bangkok. I have been so impacted by, honestly, by God's continuous and faithful love. And I have learned that through these women. They've taught me so much about about love, about commitment, about faithfulness, about hope, about persevering. And the woman who may be one of the ones who has impacted me the most is not one that the world would call a success. She's still, you know, one foot out there and one foot in, and she, she struggles with alcoholism. She gets sober for a few months and then falls off the wagon and may go back to prostitution for a period of time. But we've been working with her for now about, let's see, since 2006. And she knows where to find love. So when she's had it with prostitution, she's had it with alcohol, with, with being so intoxicated that she has no, you know, in those periods of time, she has no place to, to sleep and she'll sleep on the street. And when she gets to those places where she just needs a hug, she needs love, she needs to be reminded that she's a human being and that she has value. She comes in and finds us and she gets her hugs and she laughs with us and she gets a meal and she gets a shower and she gets a fresh change of clothes and she asks for her for a job again. And we find jobs that she can do so that she feels productive and and important. And we're seeing progress. It's been such a long journey. But this last year, we've seen her go the longest stretch without getting drunk and being homeless again. And I think through her story, I've just learned the importance of persevering. We want change fast. We want people to to change and get their act together and move on and look successful and have a real job and a normal life as quickly as possible. But the truth is, it's a long journey. And sometimes you just want to give up and just say, okay, you know what? I've tried. I'm done. But then there she is in front of me. 
with those eyes and that beautiful smile. And my heart just goes out to her again. And I just know that God's love is so faithful, so persistent, persevering, patient, and he's always there for her. And so that compels me time and time again to stay in here for the long haul. Wow. I love that. I love that. And I, I want to say to you, Annie, thank you for your example and your fortitude and your love and also just being a woman that is strong. But I know that your strength comes from the Lord, that he is your core and you just yes. exude dignity and love and fortitude. And I, I just want to say thank you. I, I've only gotten to know you in the last two years. And I truly admire who you are and what you've done and how you've loved people into life. So I want to thank, thank you. you for everything you've done. Thank you for your investment, giving your life for this cause. And I hope that today our audience will hear this and say, I want to do the same that this is where my fulfillment comes from when I can live out my God-given destiny. So thank you so much for your words today. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Annie and your team for your courage and grit to go into some of the darkest places of Thailand to bring love and value to a community that has been devalued and discarded. You have taken the little of what you had in your hands and seen it expand because it's the heart of God to reach all people with his great love. If you would like to contribute and support this ministry or engage with a business opportunity to sell their products, please go to nightlightinternational.com or email Annie and her team at bkk at nightlightinternational.com or info at nightlightinternational.com and see how you can get involved. There are so many opportunities to make a difference and stop modern day slavery. You can also check out their e-store at nightlightcollections.com and purchase some of their beautiful jewelry, crafts, and outfits these ladies have made that have been restored. Mark your calendars because Annie will be joining us as one of our keynote speakers for the October 16th Virtual World Sealed Conference, VWSC21. Go to sealed.life to find out more and where there's a location near you. We have representatives in 22 countries around the world and over 87 locations. Thank you, friends, for tuning in with Truth Be Known and go to truthbeknown.org or email us at truthbeknown.org at gmail.com to find out more about our future episodes and guests that will be joining us each week. You can always find us on your favorite streaming service and don't forget to let the truth be known. Oh, 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 o